Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Most people know Rivers Cuomo as Weezer's brilliant, quirky lead singer. But one thing you may not know is that several years ago, a bizarre conspiracy theory started to make its way around the web that Rivers was actually Kurt Cobain. As in, Kurt staged his suicide in 1994 and carried on living his life as Rivers Cuomo. While Nirvana and Weezer are at seemingly opposite ends of the 90s music spectrum, a closer look reveals they're actually a lot more similar than you might think. In anticipation of Weezer's ambitious and incredibly catchy new album, OK Human, Rivers explains to Rick Rubin why the band ditched their classic guitar-based style for an orchestral sound. They also talk about the specific substances that Rivers took to write the hit song, Hashpipe. And Rivers entertains the Kurt Cobain conspiracy and plays along with Rick as if it were all true. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here are old friends Rick Rubin and Rivers Cuomo talking over Zoom. Have you seen the website, the conspiracy website that that says that Kurt Cobain did not kill himself and that it's actually you are Kurt Cobain? Have you seen that? Yeah, I've heard of that. Is I hadn't seen the website before, and then just just yesterday somebody forwarded it to me. Is that like suddenly going around for some reason? It's I know that conspiracy's been around for a long time. I don't know. I just saw it. I just saw it the other day and thought, hmm, interesting. And I thought might even be interesting if I were to ask you questions as if it were true, because that could be fun for both of us. Yeah. So if, if you were Kurt, tell me how you imagine you would have transformed yourself into rivers. Well, first of all, I'd have to stage my death, which seems, seems easy enough. And then, yeah, the blue album came out a month later after he died. You could have been more. You could have been working on that like for years. Yeah, and I know he was. He seemed to be very interested in very like innocent, naive music. Like they, they covered uh, the Raincoats, which is not that different from Weezer, I guess. Um, you know, major key, and we kind of picked up picked up that ball and r- ran with it. 
So, yeah, I think kind of running the opposite direction from grunge and, you know, wear, wear the button-down shirts and cut your hair short and, uh, and sing with a very pure voice rather than a rock voice. Yeah, it seems like that would be a nice, um, if, you, like if you were tired of being Kurt Cobain, this might be a nice career decision, like get away from all that madness, essentially cancel the past, and start anew with no, none of the old pressure of being in this um, the, a band that changed the world, and um, where you could just have fun and write pop songs and enjoy yourself. Yeah. I guess the grass is always greener, but um, yeah, and I, I think for, for everyone outside of Nirvana, it seemed like he had it pretty good. Like, that's what we all wanted, right? We, we want to be not only the band that's selling 10 gazillion records, but like the band that everyone knows, like they've revolutionized music and culture. You know, they're, they're always going to be that band. And the rest of us were just like little little dwarfs kind of dancing around their, their heels. But it looks like it felt bad enough for him to either end his life or decide to become you, one of the two. <laughs> Which is better. <laughs> it's just different. <laughs> um, stylistically, did you have any, um, in the transition from the songs you wrote for Nirvana versus the Weezer songs you wrote? Did you decide to like really clear the decks and, and think of it in a new way? I think it all, it all came about because I changed my style of singing. Now, when I was singing with a very thick rock voice, so many overtones and all this distortion naturally in my vocal cords, I was able to sing one melody four times in a row and call that a verse four times in a row and call that a chorus. And no one would get tired of my voice because it was so rich. But once they started singing with a very pure voice, like a choir boy voice, like you hear in say Buddy Holly, I had to change my melody writing and my chord writing because the voice just wasn't as rich. You gotta, you gotta put the variation and, and the richness into the composition. So at that point I started writing a lot more evolved, uh, involved chord progressions and melodies. Interesting. Did you let anyone at all know what was going to happen or did you play it all pretty close to the best? <laughs> I let my, my lawyer know. Uh, but apart from that, I, I wanted a complete break. Were there any things that happened early on where you felt like you might get caught? Uh, no, there's, there's been these conspiracies and, uh, movies about me, uh, about my death. And uh, I don't think anyone's really ever come close to, to figuring it out because this Weezer's just so different from Nirvana. Yes and no. <laughs> yes. I mean, you both do the soft, loud thing. You've sort of kept that in the repertoire. Yeah. Uh, I did that without even noticing, honestly. Yeah. It's just a habit I, I hadn't yet broken. I thought the idea of adding the glasses was a great idea because it really is like a, it's a perfect, um, it camouflages your face in a way that it really does create a new persona. Yeah. Um, but I did wear them in a big Nirvana video. I was in bloom. So it's just like a little breadcrumb for people who are really paying attention, I guess. Foreshadowing. Yeah. You know, I was actually shooting that video that gave me the, the whole idea. I was looking back at it and I was like, you know what? I look pretty, pretty cool, man. This is just like the biggest F you to what everyone wants from Nirvana is me in these dorky glasses. Yeah, I remember meeting you backstage at a, at a Chili Pepper concert and I didn't make the connection when I met you the, the, the river's you. I didn't make the connection then. But now, looking back, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. I was probably pretty out of it when you met me the first time, right? You were pretty out of it when I met you the first time. You were pretty out of it both times, actually. <laughs> both first times. <laughs> in a different way. In a different way. 
let's talk about how your songwriting has progressed over the years. You can start back as far as, your, as you want. <laughs> mm. If you want to include the, the, the Nirvana years or not, um, up to you. But your relationship to music and how your songwriting has evolved. Well, started out just about the guitar, really, and wanting to shred and thinking, if I get fast enough on, with these harmonic minor scales... Uh, if I if I get my metronome setting up high enough, then I'm going to be a huge rock star, and it's going to be great. Uh, so I moved with my band to LA, and we we tried to shred our way to a record deal, and nobody was interested. Um, they were they were interested in in like something called songs and hooks and lyrics, and I was like, what the heck is all that about? But it, that became like technique for me. I was like, okay, if, if that's what it is, then I'll practice that. I'll work on that and until I can shred, shred a chorus, basically. What were you listening to at the time that the shredding was going on? What were your inspirations then? That would have been Ingve Malmsteen and Paul Gilbert and there's a, a number of other lesser known shredders. You know, it's all instrumental guitar solos and the band fell apart. Uh, it was tough. It's five guys in, in a one room studio apartment on Cherokee right off of Hollywood Boulevard. And, you know, you'd turn the lights on it when you come home at night and thousands of cockroaches would scatter all over the, the kitchen counter. You know, it's just no, no fun for, for most guys. For me, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Where did you move from? In this story, I, I moved from, from a small town in northeastern Connecticut. And when most people think of Connecticut, they think of New York. But New York seemed about as far away as L.A. to me. I was, I was closer to, like, Providence or, you know, there was really no city around me. It was, it was a college, rural college town right where Yukon is. There was a strange number of really talented musicians, like, talented technically, because we all just sat around and practiced scales and arpeggios with metronomes. And so eventually five of us moved to LA. And when that fell apart, I got a job at Tower Records. And it was there that every, every day for eight hours a day, I was being exposed to, quote, cool music. And at first, it just sounded like complete noise to me. It was like Sonic Youth, Pixies, as well as early Nirvana and... Beach Boys, Pet Sounds reissue came out around, or CD version came out around that time. And they hammered it into me day after day. And gradually it came to, to sink in and have a real influence. And I'd go home at night pretty tired on the bus and get to my apartment. And I got an eight-track recorder. And actually, I, that's when I started singing. I was like, well, my band broke up. To that point, I'd just been the lead guitar player. And I was like, well, somebody's got to sing. So... I tried to sing and it sounded like somebody trying to sing early Nirvana, basically. And I came to really love my, what I was doing. I'm sure nobody else would have, but it was very cathartic. And I would sit there and listen back to my cassettes and just, I don't know if I literally shed tears, but I felt very emotional listening to my own voice and my own songs. It's like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. Which in retrospect, you know, of course, that's how I feel. I, I wrote that. It was like about how I feel. <laughs> I knew that's what I wanted to do at that point. So, and it was also through that job at Tower that I met my friend there who knew the other guys in Weezer. So he got, he, he got me to jam with him and included those other guys. And there were a few false starts, a few strange iterations, including 60 Wrong Sausages, uh, but eventually it turned into Weezer. Amazing. Um, lyrically, when you, when you started writing those first songs on your 8-track, and you said that it, the songs sound like you felt, do you remember lyrically what you were writing about? Would it have been based on something that you saw or something that you felt? Would it have been diary-like, in other words? Yeah, not, not so much external um, observations, just more like, my own feelings and my own philosophies 
uh, my own points of view, my own realizations. That's what it, it mainly is. It's like, oh, this is, this is what's going on in this situation. Beautiful that you're able to feel it and tap into it and express it. And I imagine cathartic for you to give it voice and get it out as opposed to just having it inside and drilling a hole in your in yourself. Yeah, I, I think I often use the word cathartic. I'm not sure that's exactly what it is. It's, it's more like when I clarify exactly what's going on and I'm specific about it and I get it in words and, and melody, it's almost like I've got it outside of me now and now I'm in a way I'm healed. And uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily have to fall into that pattern anymore. Uh, there's an example on a new record. We're working on a record right now called OK Human. And there's a song called Numbers. And that one, uh, I just, I found myself, I don't know what, what song we had out, but every day I was checking, checking a chart, like a, some radio chart. Well, you know, at first it's like, it's going up, it's going up. This is amazing. And then, of course, it's going down. It's like, oh, this, this other band is getting higher than us and we're, we're falling. And it was very painful. And then, you know, it's like checking Instagram. How many likes or followers do I have? And how many people retweeted this tweet I, I posted? And I realized I was just spending a lot of time and, and emotional energy looking at numbers, which were telling me w- what my worth was. And uh, so I, I, I wrote a song specifically about that. There, there's always a number that'll make you feel bad about yourself. And so what, since I wrote that song, I, I don't, maybe as soon as I start to feel that instinct to check a number, I'm like, no, you know, I don't need to do that. I know what's going to happen. Beautiful. Is there ever or always a relationship between the valence of the lyrics and the sound of the music? I remember hearing very frequently when we put out our first album, that there was a big mismatch between the emotion of the lyrics and the emotion of the music. Many people said, oh, the, the music is so happy. It just makes you want to smile and jump around. And, but man, these lyrics are depressing. <laughs> so I don't know how it happened, but when, I, when I'm writing it, there's definitely a match. But when people are hearing it, there's a mismatch. And I think sometimes there's something really interesting about that, like hearing uh, an energetically happy song with really sad lyrics is much more interesting than one that where it's everything's just matched. It, it plays on different levels and it gives it depth. Yeah. And I just, I think I just love happy music. Or, uh, happy, maybe happy is not the wrong word. It's more like triumphant and uplifting I, I don't like music that's too, like, weak and sad, you know? Matt, Matt always would say what he loved my, about my music writing was the sounded like somebody waving a big flag from across a stadium just in triumph. So he called it my, my flag waving. Yeah, we would use the word anthemic sometimes when we would yeah. talk about some of your hooks. When you wrote one of those, like, wow, that really sounds anthemic. That's right. It's a great, great feeling. Well, I've certainly tried many different approaches in the, uh, how many years has it been? 20, 20 years? Wow. I, I could be a decade off. Um, math is not my strong suit. But, yes. um, th- this album I'm talking about, OK Human, is all piano. Not just piano compositions, but I don't play any guitar on the whole album. It's just all on piano. And with the orchestra, that is, that is very different. And I'm able to do all this stuff that I just can't do on, on a guitar. And I, and I just posted this cover of my song, Heart Shaped Box, or my, in quotes, song, Heart Shaped Box, <laughs> from my album, In Utero. When I first started practicing, it, I, was, I was doing it on guitar. And, it, you know, it sounded like what you'd expect. It was basically like Nirvana cover. And then I was like, heck, I'll try it on piano. And man, I was like doing all this crazy stuff as background music on the piano. It's like playing this symphony orchestra on the piano. And it feels like this massive new frontier for me to explore. 
did you originally write that one on piano? <laughs> uh, no, um, I I wrote that on my on my Fender Mustang, um, and I I did not even play piano back then. Cool. When did you learn to play piano? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, learned to play piano um, right around the time right after I staged my death. It was like, okay, let's let's try something totally different here. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. No one, no one would expect Kurt to play piano. The glasses, the piano is like you're home free. It's a good disguise. And now the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. I almost didn't recognize it. <laughs> it I feel like it's a Beatles era mustache. I can't remember which one, but if we look at the Let It Be album, someone has that mustache. Yeah. It might, it might be Paul. Maybe. Or George. It may have been George. I can't, I can't remember. It definitely feels like... Yeah. And they had glasses, too. Yeah. And the, the hair could work. I mean, you could yeah. be a Beatles. Yep. So it'd be Nirvana, Weezer, Beatles would be your order of... Wow. <laughs> Three favorite bands right there. Can, can you be in one of your favorite bands? Is that, does that work? Are you allowed to be on your list of favorite bands? Are you allowed to put yourself in it? I feel like if, if your band is unique enough, because, yeah, I mean, no other band makes me feel like Weezer, so they have to be. I just love I love the music so much, and there's nothing else quite like it, so they, they have to be on my list. After a quick break, we'll be back with Rivers Cuomo and Rick Rubin. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. We're back with more from Rivers Cuomo. There was a point where you decided, even after being a very successful musician, to 
go back to school. Yeah. Tell me what you were thinking. Now, this is the time, at, like mid-2000s, as we were finishing up Make Believe. Is that is that the time you're talking about? I think so. Yeah. I remember there was a, a moment where we talked about the schedule had to be around the Harvard schedule because you were going back. Right. Okay. I seem to remember I really wanted to get married, and it seemed like a good good place to meet somebody if you want to get married. Uh, maybe not so much anymore, but there was there was a time when... That was the result of going to college is you'd find somebody and get married and you find a lot of like-minded people there. You know, of course, I have many motivations for anything I do for whatever breakfast cereal I pick in the morning. But uh, that I think that was near the top of my list for, for reasons. And also, I just like finishing stuff I start like in a slightly OCD way. Like, gosh, I'm so close to having a degree. It doesn't really matter. I don't really need it. But why not just finish it up? And then, of course, uh, I love learning. And that's why I went back in the first place in the mid-90s at the height of the Blue Album success. Uh, I was just so bored going around the country over and over on a tour bus. Um, there's just no intellectual stimulation. So uh, we were we happened to be in Boston, and I, I went to Harvard, and I was like, man, this place is great. I'm, let me get an application. I filled it out, and I got accepted. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And it was fun. It's really stimulating. And even now, every morning, first thing I do is log into Khan Academy and start working on algebra. Totally useless. I was right when I was 14 and not doing my homework. But, you know, there's no, there's no use for this in my life as a rock star. But I just like these little puzzles and working on them and keeps, keeps my brain occupied and, and stretched out and tickled. This is the, the opposite of what you just said, but I'll, I'll ask. It just occurs to me, was there any part of you that felt like, well, I guess you said the, the boring aspect of repetitive nature of being on tour. Was there any sense of escaping your rock star life by going back to school? Well, definitely the first time I went there, it, um, we, we were we were at our low point interpersonally and the whole experience of becoming a rock star was pretty disillusioning as it was for it, apparently so many musicians of, of our generation. Like you finally get this thing you always wanted and then you're miserable. I don't, it seems like that doesn't happen as much anymore, but one of the motive, many motivations was I want to get away from this and I don't know if I'm ever coming back and I just want to disappear and screw that whole life, basically. Well, I'm glad you decided to go back to school instead of uh, feigning your suicide again. Because <laughs> I'd be really sad if, if Rivers was believed not to be alive. <laughs> I'd missed you a lot. Yeah, thank you. We talked a little bit about the way you've written and the way that it has. You've tried different things, but essentially the way you wrote on your new album and the way you wrote on your first album are pretty close. Uh, is the way you appreciate music the same? No. Uh, I, I think in the early 90s, I, I, was, I would get obsessed with a record or a few records, and often it'd be a, an artist or a few artists. Uh, I remember I was just mad about Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack, uh, all the Beach Boy stuff, especially Pet Sounds, all the Beatles stuff. Uh, then there was Van Morrison Astral Weeks and Love Forever Changes. So I'd go through these phases of real deep obsession with a particular album or artist. Um, and now I've gotten really into computer programming and I, I wrote this program that creates a Spotify playlist for me every day. And it's extremely eclectic and wide-ranging Anything I could possibly be interested in, it will take a sampling of it and then it mixes it all together and presents it to me every day. And so I just listen like that. And I'm just, I just very quickly go through songs like, cause it's, it's easy for me to mark like, okay, I, I don't want to hear this again for another 800 songs, or I never want to hear this again. I never want to hear this artist again, or I want to hear more of this album. 
I can give it these uh, all the instructions to the algorithm very easily. And so the playlist is constantly evolving for my uh, taste every day. And I guess it's a very, it's a very different way to, to take things in. Tell me how the, um, tell me more about the algorithm. How does it decide what to, what to add to your list? Okay. So it gets uh, some songs from pop radio and alternative radio, some songs from top songs on iTunes and some of the playlists on Spotify, today's top hits. And then any songs I've heard, you know, sometimes I just hear a song, happen to hear a song and I like it. So it, it will add those. And then songs from New Music Friday. And then there's a, a bunch of specific playlists I like to, to take samples from. Um, Beethoven, Bach, Heavy Metal, Bubblegum Pop, Rolling Stones, Top 500 Albums. And then whatever albums I happen to be interested or checking or I'm checking out, like uh, right now Mitski is in there and the white reaper then alternative 90s hot country loretta lynn and then i have a cool playlist called obscure weezer which is basically every weezer or rivers solo song that is not in the top 40 songs i always have to play so it's it'll be songs i I may not have heard for for years and it's really cool to hear them pop up randomly in this in this context uh, of that, that is so wide ranging. Suddenly I hear this song, a song I made 10 years ago and it's like, I can hear it with these really fresh ears. It's great. Does it ever do, do they ever come on and it, does it take you a moment to realize that it's one of yours? Yeah. Sometimes it's a real treat. Like, wow, this sounds amazing. What is it? And then I, and then I realize, Oh yeah, that's, that's us. That's cool. Yeah. It's a great feeling when, when that happens. Yeah the surprise aspect of it. I can remember once shazamming a song that I couldn't, that was just so cool and I couldn't figure out what it was. was A record I produced a long time ago and like completely blanked on it. (laughs) That's great. In the world of being a rock star, what's the most fun part of it for you? Man, it's really hard to pick. There's just so much stuff that's so great. So maybe I'll just rattle some things off. I I don't know if I can rank them, but the high of singing a song for an audience, you know, you have the, some stage fright, you have some extra hormones coursing through your blood. So you're, you're just operating on like peak efficiency and your, your brain's just so concentrated and you, you can hear like the, the subtlest little movement of spittle in your mouth against your tongue when you're pronouncing a word and it's, it's just such a high to be in that concentrated state. I love that. I still love writing, getting my, uh, my observations out very precisely. And yeah, it's maybe precisely because I have such a hard time explaining it with words. If I get it in a song, it's like, ah, yeah, that's, that's my mode of communication. So cool. Maybe the biggest ego reward you get is when you're in front of a giant audience not even giant. Okay. I, even in a small club, I still play these little shows. And when the audience is singing along and it's a B side or an obscure album, old album track and everyone's singing every word, like they believe it and they mean it so much. And it's so important to them. And they're just declaring it to the world in unison as this big chorus. And you know, like this is, this is something I came up with. Like I, I put those words on paper and, and look at what it's doing for all of the, uh, for all of us. And uh, I mean, that is just a, a, the greatest reward for an artist. That was one of the things that I found really interesting when we met. You explained the different ways that the lengths you would go to to write songs. Do you want to share with us how you wrote Hashpipe? The process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at that time, I was taking very careful notes on on all the parameters that went into the uh, us any given songwriting session, and like uh, what time of day it was, or what I had eaten, or what what kind of drama I'd, I'd lived through in the last twenty four hours. And it's somehow in my chain of experimentation, I had the idea to tr- try Ritalin, and 
not not connected to that, I was also reached a point where I wanted to try three shots of tequila. So uh, that day I had a Ritalin and three shots of tequila. And, you know, a few minutes later, I went into my backyard, sat down with a paper and pencil, and in about two minutes, wrote the song from start to finish in my head and then onto the onto the paper, not even a guitar in my hand. And my, my whole nervous system was on fire. <laughs> it was a total frenzy and felt exhausted right after. And I went up and took a long bath. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend that. And I haven't tried it since. Maybe I should. We'll be right back with more from Rivers Cuomo after this break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. We're back with the rest of Rick's conversation with Rivers Cuomo. Tell me about the history of this album. What's the beginning of the OK Human story? Okay. Um, I'm bad at history because uh, everything, I'm, you know, like you vary in the moment and then I just kind of forget everything that happened. Uh, but let's see. I remember, I guess a couple weeks, a couple years ago, I went to Jake's house. Jake, Jake is the producer. Jake Sinclair, um, he produced our uh, our album called The White Album two two albums ago, and he's he's more known for um, Fall Out Boy and 
Panic at the Disco. He did that really big song, High Hopes by Panic at the Disco. But I know him as the guy, the front man for a Weezer cover band called Wanna Beezer. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like a real hardcore Weezer fan. Great. But um, very, very talented young producer. So I went over to his house and with, without even an intention of starting a project, I was just going to say hi. And um, he said he had an idea for an album for Weezer. And he described it to me. And it's basically what we just finished making is, is exactly what he, he set out to, to make. It was, it was really his vision from the beginning. And what he said was, no electric guitar. It's just going to be you on piano. And you're going to bring in all your love of classical music. And we're going to use an orchestra. And you're just going to totally go for it with the songwriting and the lyrics. And don't try in any way to be successful. You're just going to make your weirdest, wildest, most riversy, weezery record you can make as a songwriter. And he gave me a, a reference album, too. Is um a v- obscure album called Nilsson Sings Newman, which I'd never heard before. And it's, it's similar to what I just described. It's this very quirky, odd, unsuccessful commercially, but um, super interesting album. Were, were all of the songs written specifically for this project? Yeah. Okay, just about every answer I'm going to give you is going to have an asterisk by it, which, which is... Uh, except for the song called All My Favorite Songs. So that one is like kind of last second. Here is a song that we that just came up. It wasn't written specifically for this album, but it sounds like it could be a big song, have a much broader audience. And it sounds like it could go on the album with a few tweaks. I guess we have yet to see whether it's, going to be the song that everyone actually knows from the album or not but that's that's the intention it's the first single and you know there's like no no rules when it comes to the first single yeah well the the beauty of i listened to the album without knowing that and i absolutely love that song and if anything i felt like that was the template for the whole album so so it did Great. not it did not <laughs> Um, stand out as not belonging just the opposite. It felt like, oh, this is the perfect song and now we're going to do a whole album like this. Fantastic. So let's talk about that song. How did that song come up? Um, what was going on? When did it happen? Tell me the story of that song. I think that one came up really recently, like maybe four or five months ago. And we were actually working on another record. We were finishing up our heavy metal record called Van Weezer. And my manager sent me an early version of the song um, with a chorus that was written by one of his favorite writers her name's Ilse and it was actually like a country song in fact he sent me a a small batch of country songs um, like song starters and I just started playing around with all these country songs not really knowing what they're for and that one for some reason when I sang it it just it sounded like wow this this sounds like a big universal song it still sounds like Rivers and Weezer and uh we could kind of massage it onto a couple different albums. Um, it could be on a metal album. It could be on OK Human. 
Um, we could make a country album and let's just start fooling around with it. So we tried, we tried to put it on, I think we tried on Van Weezer first, but in any case, it, it just, as we shifted years into making okay human, we realized as, as much as we loved the album, it, it would really benefit from having that big flag waving uh, single that, that brings in a wider audience to, to what is probably a pretty uh, difficult album. So we started tweaking it to fit it on there and it, it worked out really well. Yeah, it, it, fits, it fits like a glove. And again, not knowing the backstory, I would have assumed that was just one of the batch that you wrote and it was a particularly great one and it sounds really like you. And the fact that that started with someone else is shocking to me because it sounds like a, pure, <laughs> a perfect, Rivers, perfect Rivers song. Great. Do you remember, <laughs> by any chance, I know we, 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 uh, history is, is neither of our, our long suits. Do you have any idea what the first song that you wrote for, this, for the OK Human album was? Any memory? Did you hear the song Bird with a Broken Wing? That might not, not yeah. even, uh, that, okay. That might be one of the first, or Playing My Piano. Yeah, Playing My Piano is spectacular. It's cool. It's one of my favorites. Can we, can we, you, you mind if we listen to that right now? No, I'd love to. Let's listen to playing my piano. Okay. My wife is upstairs. My kids are upstairs. And I haven't washed my hair in three weeks. I should get back to these Zoom interviews. But I get so absorbed and time flies I just can't let go When I'm playing my piano Heaven shuts the door on this man. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, so I'm I'm imagining that ending was uh, the an improvisation of looking for lyrics. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my that's my original voice note um, when I was writing the idea, and I couldn't come up with the lyric for the last line. And I was trying all these things, and finally I gave up, and I just sent it to Jake because I like the melody. He's like, yeah, this is great. And there's a couple spots on the album where he's like, includes these things. You're like, you're not supposed to show that to people. There's one spot in, uh, what is it? Uh, La Brea Tar Pits where we were tracking the, the basic tracks with Pat on the drums. And right in the middle of the song, his wife calls. So he just stops playing. He picks up the phone. He starts talking. And Jake puts it on the album, like the song, where we're playing the song and the song stops. And then you hear Pat talking to his wife on the phone. <laughs> I think uh. th those might be some of the best parts on the album. I mean, it, do it does, <laughs> it creates a reality. It's like, this is really happening. You know, it's not, this is not this plastic thing wrapped on a shelf. This is a live moment in time. <laughs> And it's a real sense of reality. And um, I, was re I was really moved by that ending. I thought it was beautiful, um, you looking for the words. <laughs> and, and how each of the choices was good in a different way and all equally uh, hopeless in their, uh, in their message. <laughs> uh, I like what I eventually settled on, not in the voice note, but months later. It finally occurred to me. It was one of those things where, like, I know the answer is going to come, but there's just no way I can sit here and try to force it. I just have to 
put it away for a while and then one day it'll just pop into my head. And hopefully that's before we release the album. And that's what happened, luckily. This really feels like an entirely different world, even though it still sounds like you and it still sounds like your songs. How did you go about recording these songs? Obviously, it's different than the way you've recorded anything else because it's a whole different, it's essentially a different band, even though it's the, the players of the players. It was the most insane recording process. It just made me so anxious through the whole thing. I just really had to trust Jake because he had a very strong idea for how he wanted to do it. And it, it just totally ass backwards. <laughs> so forgive my, pardon my French, but um, he, uh, okay. So this is what we did. We got together at his house, me and Pat and Jake and Pat never heard the songs before. And they, they handed me an acoustic guitar actually, and a microphone and said, okay, play your songs. And then Pat's just going to play along in like, he's like right across from me in the same room, no baffles. He's just kind of playing softly. And we did like two, three, maybe four takes of each song. And that, those were the drum takes. So, at, I mean, what you're hearing on the album is Pat, like hearing the songs for the first time and trying to figure out like how it goes and talking to his wife on the phone. <laughs> and uh, it, it was just kind of terrifying as, as the songwriter, like you want, you want everything to go right. And so f f from there, and, and they really love, they really love that vibe, like that um, kind of exploratory and not, not too self-conscious or not playing a part. You already know how it goes. So it has a, a, a real uh, sense of vitality to it, I guess. So then they take those drums and he goes to the, the, he brings it to the arranger and they listen to all my, my piano arrangements and they turn that into orchestra arrangements. And they bring, they bring the session to Abbey Road Studios in London and record all the strings. And then they ditch my basic acoustic and vocal tracks. And so at that point you have, all you have are drums and this massive orchestra and it, it, I mean, obviously that orchestra is usually the last thing you put on once you have a really so solid foundation. Then they did bass and then I did all my vocals. And then finally, uh, and then Brian did all his stuff, little flourishes here and there, a lot of Hammond and acoustic guitar. And then finally I did my piano, which was supposed to be the centerpiece of the album. Um, but in the final version, when you have so many tracks like this, you end up mute. It's the more you mute, the better it ends up sounding. So we've muted so much stuff. And one of the things that, that got sacrificed uh, was my piano, which is shocking to me because it was really supposed to be the centerpiece along with the orchestra. But the orchestra really took over what I was doing and it ended up being much more interesting to listen to. So all of the orchestrations are based on your piano parts? Yeah. Um, I'm really, when I listen to it, I'm amazed like how many of these cool little counterpoint parts and melodies you hear weaving in and around my vocal are actually from my original piano demos. Um, but then there's some that, that are not me, that, that they came up on their own. So my ego is, is totally satisfied because I, I feel like, wow, I did, an, I did some amazing stuff. Uh, and I really contributed to the orchestration and at the same time, I'm I'm really pleased with with the string, the orchestra arranger, because he he contributed a lot of incredible stuff too. It's fantastic. Yeah. Let's talk about um, Rock My Audible. Cool. Where'd the idea come from? I I guess for a couple of years I'd been every night listening to classic novels on Audible, and I'm not a great sleeper, so often I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd continue the novel then. And I'd, it was a really pleasurable state where I'm, I'm not, I'm like not, not even half asleep, maybe a quarter asleep, not, not really getting the benefits of deep sleep, but um, I'm in this very like open 
what is it? Some kind of beta wave thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just very open. Like I'm living in these novels and uh, it was such a wonderful experience. Like, but during the day, forget it. I can't, I don't have the, the calmness or the concentration to, to read uh, like a thousand page novel or something and really get focused and drawn into it or even listen to it on audible. But it, it was just these nighttime audible sessions that um, were, were so great for me. And so I wrote a song about it. Great. Can we, do you mind if we listen to that one? No. Let's listen to that one. breathing it's so nice it's like a blanket on my life let me stay here for forever in this state of classical denial cranking mrs dalloway moby dick trip on a whale he's kind of just like me we're thirsty for the deep i'm gonna rock Nice. What a great song. The, the chorus is really uh, a super duper anthemic chorus. And it's so funny to hear those lyrics on that chorus. And it, it works great, but it's really uh, haven't heard that before. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. Like, I remember I, I, I went online. I was like, OK, I got to write a chorus. And I just went online and I searched for like inspirational phrases and it was oh gosh i'd have to go back and see what it was but some really cheesy inspirational phrase like get up and go or some, something like that and um so that's how i came up with the music and the melody and then i was like well that lyric is not going to work so i, I just kind of grafted my other story onto it onto the uh, uplifting music it it really works like uh it's unbelievable and and it, interestingly also by using the current reference of Audible, it almost has a hip-hop-like modernity. Hmm. Because it's not unusual in a hip-hop song to hear, uh, you know, Audible's a brand, <laughs> to hear a, a brand flaunted in a song. Yeah. Yeah, or like uh, Insta or something. But in my case, it's Audible. Yeah, it makes it very modern. It really does. Really good. Cool. I can't wait for people to hear it. I think it's really, I think it's really, really good, and it's um, wow. It's refreshing to hear it sound so different, yet so much like you, and for the songs to be so great. Um, it's, I mean, it's one of my favorites of your work. Wow, that means so much coming from you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Great work. Well, I got to give Jake a lot of credit because I feel like. I'm the same person I was before and uh, it's, it was really his, his vision. And I was immediately realized, Oh, that's a really cool idea. Let's do that. And turned out just like he imagined. So a lot of credit to him. Great. Please thank him for me for making something that I love so much. (laughs) I will. Uh, He'll he'll be very excited to hear hear you said that. Thanks to Rivers Cuomo for entertaining that bizarre conspiracy theory for us. You can hear all of our favorite Weezer songs on our playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find extended cuts of new and old episodes. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez, with engineering help from Nick Chafee, and is executive produced by Mia LaBelle. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. And if you like Broken Record, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Peace. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. 
connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.